Hey everybody, it's Sam with Paranormal Review, and man oh man, all I can say is wow. I mean, just wow. This episode, we are reviewing The Holter Files, and it is called A Grave Revenge, and it aired on October 17th. 2019. Um, it won episode 3 of the Holzer Files, and they are redoing Hans Holter's uh, files, his investigations that he did looking into paranormal events at the Whaley House in San Diego, California. Now, um, to some of you that may be brand new to this podcast, just want to explain to you what we're doing is we're kind of going to go over a review. Um, I am kind of a little bit of a skeptic, although I'm going to admit this episode I thought was extremely entertaining and very interesting and intriguing. I mean, it caught my eye. It makes me want to go to the Whaley house. Um, I can't help but go ahead and tell you I really enjoy this show. I feel like they take Hans Holzer's tapes and his investigations and they really read through them, kind of get to the bottom, and then go out looking to either build on it or prove him wrong or add to it or something like that. And to me, this show, yes, it, it is about trying to prove the paranormal. And again, I can't say it enough. Paranormal doesn't mean um, ghosts floating in the air or anything like that. It just means something that we can't explain. Something that is not in our normal world that we're trying to explain or we're trying to collect evidence and research on. So, or at least that's how I look at it. So, I look at this show as kind of a mystery type show, um, a big puzzle piece that they're trying to put together what's going to happen and everything. Well, the first two episodes of this show, which are episodes on this podcast, yes, I enjoyed them, but I cannot tell you how much, I think this is the episode that hooked me. Now watch. I will watch episode four here, you know, in a little while, and it'd be awful, and I'll hate the show. But I hope that doesn't happen, because I think I'm going to point to this episode as the episode that actually hooked me where I want to watch The Holter Files. The show starts off with Dave Schrader, um, a paranormal investigator, and he is listening and watching all of Hans Holter's tapes concerning the Whaley House from 
when he was there in 1965. They have old film that they're watching on a projector, and they're listening to reel-to-reel tapes in a lot of instances. Um, Hans Holzer brought Sybil Leake as his medium in San Diego to the Whaley House. Now, we've discussed on previous episodes... Um, I'm not sure how I feel about mediums. I think the main reason why I don't know how I feel is, number one, I don't know enough about them. I've never met one. I've never really researched it. And I keep saying, yes, I need to sit down. I need to research this. Find out what a medium actually is. What they can actually do when they're saying they're experiencing something what what are they actually doing or feeling or or whatever we'll talk about that more as we go but um dave asks because this is during a seance and so dave asks who is sybil leak actually channeling and Gabroth, who is the team's paranormal researcher, says it isn't clear. She could never uh, really relate to them who was um, saying things to her, who was coming in and speaking with her. Alexander Holzer, which is Hans Holzer's daughter, says that his or her father said this the Whaley House was the most haunted house in America. And it's still to this day, when you get on their website or you do any research on it, it is still considered that. If um, you look at any top ten, the Whaley House is always listed. And it seems like when you see the paranormal TV investigators, that's always on their bucket list. Or, if they've already been, they always say they want to go back. So, we found out that the Whaley House was actually built in 1857 by Thomas Whaley. And that his youngest daughter, Violet, committed suicide by shooting herself in the chest. And then Dave watches film of Sybil saying while she's channeling someone that there was a young girl in the parlor with chest trouble and that someone had control over her. And Dave says, does she mean that there could be a possible spirit in the house that may have made uh, Violet Whaley kill herself? Um, and that's not really answered. They go back and they show, um, again, like I said, film of Sybil saying people quarreled about this spot. Now, it is then brought up by Gabe and by Alexandra Holter that Hans found out about a 19th century thief that was named Yankee Jim. And he was hung 
on a spot where the house was built. Before the house was built, there were actual gallows that were built by the town there before the house was built there. Thomas Whaley then brought the, bought the property and built his house there. Um, there's nothing in Hans's files that stated that he believed that Yankee Jim was there or that there was a spirit there that could take over anybody. Um, and right now, the Whaley House is a museum. You can actually go visit it during the day. You can schedule ghost tours. You, they have paranormal tours. Um, they have historical tours and everything set up. You can look it up on, on the website. And like I said, this episode made me think, oh my gosh, this has so much history. I would enjoy just visiting the house during the day and listening to them tell me about the history. Because I have admitted, I am nothing but a chicken, and I have no desire to mess with anything that um, is... Uh, devil-driven, evil uh, spirits, entities, anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not interested in going to the most haunted house in America and playing around. However, I do uh, enjoy the history. The employees of the Whaley House say that the energy seems to be increasing, and they would like for this team to come out and kind of see what they can find. So they arrive in San Diego, and we see Shane Pittman, who is the tech guy for the team, but he's also a paranormal investigator, arrive with Cindy Carza. And and Cindy is a medium herself. And in the previous two episodes... She really has impressed me. Um, I have expressed that I'm not sure what she can do. If what she says is real or if it's made up or if, you know, she has gifts that have been given to her that she's using appropriately. I have no idea. I have also expressed I would love to meet Cindy. I have heard her on podcasts. She seems extremely down to earth. She seems very knowledgeable about a lot of different subjects and just seems like someone you would want to have lunch with. Sit down and and find out about her life and her different experiences in the places that she's gotten to go. But, like I said, Shane and Cindy arrive for the baseline investigation at the Whaley House on day one, and it's 7.37 a.m. Shane and Cindy are actually going to do a walkthrough of the house while Dave monitors things. Now, just to remind you guys the setup of the Holter Files... Dave gets the briefing and pretty much controls the files and he gives information to Cindy and Shane kind of on a need-to-know basis. 
um, he wants to see, especially, what Cindy can come up with on her own. Now, I have expressed this before, and I'm going to express it this episode. The Whaley House, like I said, is famous. Um, if you look up any list of hauntings or ghost tours or anything in the United States, you're going to ha- find the Whaley House on it. Hans Holzer, you know, is famous also. And so, I find it a little hard to believe that Cindy or Shane didn't know anything about this house. I'm sure that they did. They had to have. But, um, I'm not sure what they know. But, Dave always assures us that he has never told them anything that he's found out in Hans Holter's files, in Gabe's research, or anything that Alexander Holter has said. So, what they do is, um... They go up and talk to Dave, and Dave states that it's been 50 years since Hans has been there. Um, And when you sit down and think about that, that is a long time. And so Dave says the obvious. Maybe things have changed. Maybe things have gotten worse. Uh, Maybe something's happened within those 50 years that has caused issues or anything like that. Dave wants to make sure that Shane has a thermal camera. And he does. And he just says, you know, for Shane, make sure he's using that. So as they walk into the house and they're kind of moving uh, around, Cindy immediately says that she feels kind of uneasy and dizzy, um, and says, we are not in a good house. Again, like I said, I find it hard to believe someone of Cindy's um, caliber and magnitude hasn't heard of the Bailey house, so I'm sure she knows this is not a good house. However, Cindy says that she feels a pull. Um, like she's drawn into what is uh, labeled as the parlor, and it's on the first floor. She says this room kind of creeps her out, and that she feels like someone may have passed away in this room, or wasn't well in this room. And then she says she gets pulled into the kitchen, which is on the first floor. And as she's in the kitchen, she turns around and kind of faces down the hallway where she's come, and, and she says that she keeps seeing pools of blood. And they seem to be connected to the woman who passed away. And so she kind of walks back down the hallway, and as she is, she she talks about how this woman that she is feeling is really angry at her husband, and that she believes that he had an affair, or that he's been with another woman, and that's why he left. Um, Cindy said she's experiencing feelings of betrayal and that the woman loses her mind 
and pretty much goes insane. And I'm thinking, well, we just went over the research, and yes, they talked about, you know, Thomas Whaley's youngest daughter committing suicide, but is there something that we don't know? It, you know, is Thomas Whaley's wife, did she, did she have issues? Did Mr. Whaley have an affair? What What is she feeling and why? Why is she feeling this? Um, I, I feel like I'm struggling because I'm trying, like I said, this show to me feels like a puzzle or a mystery. And I'm trying to kind of connect the dots and figure out, based on what Cindy is saying, if Cindy is truly getting these feelings, these images, um, hearing people talk. How does this fit in to history? How can we prove this? And I, I feel like right now... It's not matching up. And so it kind of shocks me because Dave says, Ah, oh, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. And Cindy says that she doesn't believe the woman was murdered, but that the woman feels like she was murdered. And then we see Cindy and Shane go upstairs, and they're on the staircase leading up to the second floor, and she says that she feels that there's an energy that's unsettled, it's crazy, and angry almost. She thinks that there's definitely something else in this house, and... This leads her to want to go back down the stairs. She says she would like to do automatic writing in the room that she walked in from the parlor that had the bed. And that she would like to sit on the bed and do some automatic writing. Cindy has done this automatic writing in previous episodes so i somewhat know what to expect as far as she usually sits on the floor in a chair or something this time she's sitting on a bed and she writes what's going on but this time cindy kind of explains it and says that she uses automatic writing to channel spirits to her from the other side and get their answers and kind of write them down. So Cindy kind of looks around and says, who is here? Who would like to speak? And what do you have to say? So we see Cindy for the first time writing fairly fast and then she's jerking off the page to start another one and and she's writing fast again because in the other episodes the way they positioned her we've never really seen her do this we've seen her write and and immediately tear off a page and go on writing but this angle in this episode you can see that Cindy's handwriting is fairly big, and that's 
probably the reason why she's filling up pages so fast. I always wondered that. You know, in a previous episode, she had a lot of pages, and I was like, my goodness, how long was she in there? Because I write really small. And so, I, it, it just amazed me at how big she was writing. But I guess if you're writing that fast, you do want to write bigger to make sure that you can read it later and that you're getting everything down that, that you need to get down. Um, Cindy says that there's a man upstairs that causes problems for people and that things have happened in the house. Cindy doesn't know who he is. Um, and she doesn't feel like the man and the woman interact in any way. She said it feels like they're in separate realms or they're in separate dimensions and they never cross paths. Which leads to a lot of different theories. You know, um, some people, from watching the paranormal TV shows and doing a little research, um, different people believe different things. That people, sometimes when they experience romantic death, that they are stuck in their realm or their reality or their dimension. And then time moves on. And as time moves on, there are slippages. And it allows people from a time before us to kind of slip through. And sometimes that creates residual energy where things play over and over. Like the Gettysburg Battlefield. They say if you're on the Gettysburg Battlefield very early in the morning that you hear gunshots. And they're the same time every day. And so people believe there's a time slippage there. And I never really understood that. Well, I heard Nick Groff, who is a paranormal investigator that started with Ghost Adventures, uh, was on Ghosts of Shepherdstown, and then was on Paranormal Lockdown. I heard him explain this, because he actually thinks this may be happening. He said, if you take a book, like a paperback book, and you go to page 25 and then you go to page 35 well they're different parts of the same book but when you go to page 25 something different is happening than what's on page 35 even though they're happening in the same book so, something that happens in San Diego, California, 50 years earlier, will not be what's happening now in 2020. However, they're happening in the same place. Nick Groff thinks that time slippage happens when dimensions 
flow through each other. And the example he talked about was if you pour a little bit of water on those pages on a paperback book and you let them slowly seep in. When you first pour it on page 25, it doesn't go to page 27. However, if you allow the water to sit there, it will start seeping in. And it'll slowly, the water will make page 27 get wet. And then it'll make page 29 get wet. And, then, and it will go down to page 35. And he says, you know, that may be why we don't see cavemen. Because that's one of the things that people in the paranormal community talk about. Is, you know, if there's hauntings, why are we not getting caveman hauntings? Why are we not getting um, Knights of the Round Table? Well, first of all, the United States didn't have um, Knights of the Round Table, so you're not going to see them. But, like he said, page 25, when it gets wet, when it slips into page 27, it's really strong. However, when it gets to page 35, it's not as strong because the water's been soaked up by the other pages. And by the time you get to page 101, there's no water. So we may start losing some of these hauntings. Maybe we've already lost hauntings. Maybe there were hauntings of cavemen. But because the time slippage doesn't reach us here in 2020, we don't see them. We don't hear them. We don't experience them or anything. So that, to me, when he said that, I was like, mm, that may be a possibility. With me being a skeptic, I'm not really buying it, buying it. But when he explained it that way, it did make sense to me. Um, I had an aha moment, as Oprah says, you know, on the podcast that, that he just happened to be on at that particular time. So, um, it doesn't surprise me that Cindy says she feels a man, she feels a woman, they're two separate spirits but they're on different dimensions or realms or page numbers. So therefore, they're not interacting with each other. Um, he said, or she said, that the man that was talking to her said he was going to make the cameras go off. Um, and that he brags that he affects electricity and that he can make people feel you. He likes to see people harmed. And... Dave, who's who's still monitoring outside, says that Sybil, the medium with Hans Holzer 50 years ago, always thought that a spirit affected violence so bad that she was led to kill herself. And now Cindy is kind of communicating with this spirit. 
And as he says that, the camera goes off. And Shane, being the text tech guru that he is, is trying to fix it. And Cindy says, I want to leave. Um, she looks up and she says, the man is standing right beside of Shane. And she said, he is staring at me and he looks evil. And Shane radios Dave and says, look, you know, this camera's dead. So Dave tells them, hey, why don't you guys come out and let's let's talk. So Dave recaps for Cindy what Hans Holzer's transcripts say from 53 years ago. He talks about how Sybil Leake believed that there was a woman in the parlor with chest pains. And that Sybil on the film kept saying bad affair. And he finds it very interesting that that's the very word that Cindy used, was that this woman was upset about an affair taking place. And then Dave says, I feel like there's something dark. Wanting to show off. Wanting to show off its power uh, by turning off the camera and making you feel certain ways. So Dave does a case log every night after they talk and, and they go back to the hotel room. And in this case log, he says... After he recaps everything, he says that he feels like they need to dig a little deeper into the history of this house and kind of find out what's going on. That he feels like, you know, Hans Holzer's files have told him a little bit and Gabe found a little bit, but that he really needs to dig. So him and Shane the next day meet with Dean Lyle, and he's the Whaley House historian. He talks to them while in the house, and Dave asks him, hey, can you tell us about any deaths that have happened here? And Dean says that he states shortly after moving in that Thomas Whaley Jr., died of scarlet fever at 18 months old. And I immediately think, huh, well, that could be the sickness that Cindy maybe was feeling. She said she felt something in the bedroom where there was a person in there maybe not well. So maybe maybe it's that. I don't know. And then he says uh, Violet committed suicide there. Um, and Dave says, yeah, yeah, we, we heard about that in, um, Hans's files and on his film. Does anyone know why she may have committed suicide? And Dean says, yeah, um, we, through history, have found out that Violet was depressed and very upset she had had a failed marriage and had moved back home 
And at one point, she tried to take her own life by jumping into the cistern. But her father jumped in and saved her in 1885. And um, I, I immediately stopped the program and looked back on the notes I'd taken and I thought, oh, okay, there's a puzzle piece kind of dropping in for me. I guess I thought when Gabe said that Thomas Whaley's youngest daughter committed suicide, I guess I was thinking young. I was thinking, you know, she was... 14, 15, she was 20, you know, um, but she wasn't, you know, they moved into the house in, um, 1853, I think is what I said, um, 1857, sorry, and she didn't die until 1885, and she had had a marriage, and so she was older, and so now, it's starting to kind of click. She had a failed marriage, and Cindy last night was feeling like a woman had felt betrayed, felt like her husband had been cheating on her and had been having an affair. And here, Violet is extremely depressed and tried to commit suicide, but her father saved her. And then Dean continues and says... Violet, of course, tried again, and she shot herself outside uh, with her father's pistol. And he said that her father heard it, immediately rushed outside, and carried her into the parlor study. And that she lived for about 15 minutes. And then he goes on to the next desk on the property, and he says, We know of three people that were hanged here on the property before the house was built. The most famous one of them is Yankee Jim Robinson, and that he was a thief and a murderer. Well, that's news to me. Hello, um, Gabe, when you were talking before in the beginning of the program, you said he was a thief, but you never said he was a murderer. And um, Dean kind of gets a little uncomfortable, and he says that Yankee Jim was hung there on the grounds. But when he was dropped from the gallows. The gallows weren't very fancy and weren't very good. And when he dropped, it didn't break his neck. So he slowly uh, strangled to death while everyone watched. And that Thomas Whaley was actually one of them there that day. And a couple years later, Thomas ended up buying the property to build his house and a store on. Lillian Whaley, which is his other daughter, the one that 
that lived, um, stated that at one time her dad had told her that when he came to watch Yankee Jim being hung, that he would say that the gallows were located approximately where the arch is in the house between the parlor and the study. And, like I said, Dean is, is talking very slow. He is appearing like he's having problems talking. And so Dave asks him, you know, what what's wrong? And Dave um, admits, even though they aren't here with me, I still feel like I want to be careful about what I say. And so Dave, in his case log later that night, says that it was really weird for Dean to appear to be scared, um, speaking slowly. These people have been dead for over a hundred years, but yet it's almost like he's scared of them. And so Dave says he really wants to make a note that he wants to check and see if there's anyone else living in fear. And so the next day, or later that day, I'm sorry, um, they interview Brandon Carpenter. And he's introduced as a Whaley House employee. And Brandon is pretty open and honest and appears to have no problems talking. He talks about how he was vacuuming and cleaning in the parlor and the study, and that he was right about here, and he shows them. He's near the arch, and he said he fell to the floor. He said it took him a little while to recover and as he was laying there on his bike, he was looking up at the archway. And he said, I started thinking that something pushed me to the ground. And that I must have done something wrong for it to push me. And Dave questioned him. He was like, um, you... You didn't think you slipped and fell. You didn't think, you know, your knee gave out. You didn't think that you were tired. You you weren't thinking you were dizzy. You actually started thinking immediately that you deserved it. And Brandon was like, yeah, yeah, I did. I, I just had this feeling. So Shane pops out a recorder and says, uh, I have a recording here that's 53 years old that I would like for you to listen to. And we hear Sybil's voice saying, the man doesn't like noise. And he will try to make more noise unless you go away. Brandon's eyes kind of get wide, but he doesn't really question that. He just immediately says, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And he says, this isn't my house. And the people who are attached to this house, 
probably do keep an eye on those of us who are in it. And I found that very intriguing, that someone can go to work at a historical place and just kind of accept things. That, you know, this isn't my house. I'm an employee here. I clean. I give tours. I do this. I do that. Um, but it's not my house. And I need to respect those who have lived here before me. I I just found that fascinating. So, then later that evening, Dave decided to meet Cindy a couple blocks away. And as they're walking, uh, he tells Cindy that he wants to take her to a cemetery. And they go in to the beginning of the cemetery, and he says, this is this is where Yankee Jim is buried, and I want to see if you pick up anything. Um, he tells Cindy that this is who Hans and Sybil think may be terrorizing the house, that it's Yankee Jim. So they get to his gravestone, his headstone, his burial plot, where, you know, his name is and everything. And Cindy immediately responds, I don't feel like he's even here. I'm getting no feelings from this. She said this, you know, this is not, I'm not getting any for your feelings that I felt last night or anything like that. And so Dave says, well, are you drawn anywhere? Take me to where you're drawn the most. So she walks back towards the front of the cemetery and she looks and she says right here and it's near some crosses that have rocks around them and then crosses in the middle of the rocks and Dave walks around to the front of the grave and and then Cindy says it's right here kind of in the middle and Dave says these are unmarked graves and Cindy said I'm a, I'm seeing two men um, and they want to go in and get some people. They want to ambush them. Um, they want to take over some land. And then she says she sees a barn on fire. And Dave says, this isn't ringing a bell. I probably need to do some research. Well, Cindy immediately reassures him and says, you know, Yankee Jim is definitely not the force at the Whaley house. This goes way more deeper, and Yankee Jim is not what I'm feeling at the Whaley house. And to me, that's kind of surprising, because as I was researching this, that's one thing when you look back through the articles that are on the internet, 
a lot of them do mention Yankee Jim and how different people have came up with Yankee Jim's name and everything. So we see Dave giving his case log and he says, I really don't want anyone on our team stepping back into the Whaley house until we kind of know what's going on. So we see Dave reach out to Gabe and he says, Gabe, we need more research. We we need some help. So Gabe um, digs around a little bit and reaches back out to Dave and says that he has set up an interview uh, for Dave with Robin Lakin. And she's the Whaley House archivist. And I'm not sure why Gabe didn't set that up when he set Dean up. Um, it would make sense for Dave to meet both of those, but who knows. Um, he asks about the deaths on the property. And she mentions Yankee Jim. And then she says, there were two other men that were hung on the property before the house was built on those gallows. Um, they were part of a Native American uprising that took place in 1851. And they were uprising because people were illegally taxing the Native Americans' cows and and just illegally taxing them. So these two men were part of a gang that wanted to kill every white man in the area. And she then states that they were hung on the gallows. And I'm immediately thinking as she says this, oh my, because she says these men were not hooded. And of course, when they dropped, their necks did not break immediately. It took over 45 minutes for them to die. Now me, when I heard that, I thought, oh my, um, they needed to tear those gallows down or they needed to figure out a better rope or they were making the ropes too long. I, I, I don't know exactly what the issue was, but they were really causing cruel and unusual punishment for these men. And it, to me, it's unacceptable. But anyway, um, she says the fascinating fact is... Thomas Whaley actually accompanied these two men to their hanging to make sure they were hung. And that the leader of the uprising, the leader of the gang, was executed by firing squad at his gang er, at his gravesite. Thomas Whaley was part of that firing squad that shot the leader. And then he accompanied the two men afterwards that were going to be hung that caused this Native American uprising. And Dave says, well, where were these men buried? 
and she gives him the name of it. And Dave says these three men were buried at the cemetery that Cindy and I were at the night, the night before. So then she says, I've got something very interesting for you, though. Six years ago, um, we found some of Mrs. Whaley's letters. And this is Thomas Whaley's wife. Um, and she said, she, she opens a box and she said that Mrs. Whaley, she gave him the original letters and then the transcription. They are extremely hard to make out. Obviously, they're, they're, you know, 100 years old. But she said, you as you can see and compare from the transcription to the actual letters, you can kind of make it out. She wrote um, about activity that was going on in the house and how the Whaley family had encountered it. And Dave said, why isn't this known? Why... Why isn't this uh, publicized or anything? And she said, no one outside of our organization has ever seen these letters before you. Uh, we have just kind of been going through them, having them transcribed and everything. We're only given these letters six years ago. So they haven't been in our uh, possession that long. And... Dave makes the comment, well, that's why Hans Holzer didn't know about him. And she points to a place in the original letter and then points to the transcription where Mrs. Whaley actually wrote that she believed the house was doomed and that it was possessed by spirits. And they actually show the letter and show where it says in her handwriting that she believes it was possessed by spirits. And so Dave automatically says, well, when were these wrote? Were these wrote before Violet committed suicide? And she said, yes, they were. And you can see the shock look on Dave's face because Dave is like, wow, you know, and you, you can see him putting it together and he looks at her and he says, so Mrs. Whaley, Thomas Whaley's wife, the mother to Violet, thought this house was doomed, had spirits in it believed that it was possessed by spirits before her daughter committed suicide. And the lady says yes. Now, I stopped again there and I thought, what Mrs. Whaley must have went through to feel that way about the house, to know that your husband has been part of this firing squad. He has been watching the hangings going on. And then when they decide at the, at the last minute to do away with the gallows, he buys this property. 
they build a house and a store on it. She doesn't feel comfortable in this house. She feels like this house is doomed. She's seeing activity and doesn't know what's going on. And then her youngest daughter, who has had a failed marriage, commits suicide by shooting the front yard. I mean, Mrs. Whaley must have went crazy for a while. I mean, she had to question things. Next, we see Dave Skype, Alexandra Holzer. And he kind of fills her in and tells her things are kind of lining up the way your dad thought 53 years ago. He said he didn't have enough evidence. They hadn't researched things. You know, um, with the internet today and people putting things on there, people finding things like letters in the attic or whatever, you know, Hans Holter was kind of behind an eight ball. He didn't have access to all of this. But yet he figured out that there was something going on in this house and that there were two different kinds of energy. And he just couldn't figure out and put two and two together on who it was and what was causing it. Um, Alexander says to Dave that her dad believed that the dead could sometimes control the living like a puppet on a string. And Dave says, well, you know, that almost is what I feel like happened to Brandon. And that, you know, it it overwhelmed him. And then he said that may have been what happened to Violet. That someone dead controlled her enough to get her to feel so depressed that she ended up killing herself. So then... We see Shane setting up cameras for that night's investigation, and we see Cindy kind of preparing. So, um, they have a little team meeting, and Dave says that he wants Shane and Cindy to start down in the bedroom, where she has been feeling the biggest draw, but also Sybil, when she was there 53 years earlier, felt a big draw to that room. Dave says he's going upstairs. He wants to go to what is the theater area on the second floor. Um, And Dave goes up there. He states that he's using a motion detector camera. Um, I've not really seen this put together. On other paranormal shows, I've seen them put up a projection of the lights that there's thousands of them that cover an area. And it's so that if something breaks the light, they'll see a shadow. But what Dave says is this is a newer motion detector camera. And what it does on the bottom of the camera, it has where... 
it can shoot out thousands of points of light and then where the light is broken up it uses it to map it uh, out on the camera and pick it up and film it and and kind of show it as a figure now while Dave is explaining this we see Cindy downstairs saying she doesn't even want to walk in there um, she's not feeling really great but she does walk into the bedroom she sits on the bed and she says I feel like I can't breathe real well Dave however upstairs says he hears something he hears almost like a low voice and he kind of slowly pans the camera around to let the points of light kind of catch up and to see if it's mapping anything and then we flip back to Cindy who's saying that she's feeling really nauseous she's feeling dizzy and that she feels energy all around her and that it's super super thick and then she looks up at Shane and she says I feel like a woman is right behind me now Shane is in front of her with the camera and you can't see anything there there's nothing there however Cindy says that you know she's feeling this presence and then we flash to Dave and Dave is saying out loud instead of us playing guessing games about who you are why don't you just tell us and you notice that Dave has a digital recorder in one hand and then he's holding his motion detector camera and again he's panning it and as he's slowly panning it his camera starts mapping out a figure in front of him it appears to be about 10 to 15 feet away and it it looks like the figure may be sitting in a chair Dave asks the figure do you see me can you raise your arm and the figure boom disappears so since Dave has been doing an EVP session and has been taping it he decides that he needs to do a quick playback on the order so when he asks the question can you see me Dave hears a yes to that question as an answer to that question when he played it back I actually could hear it and you guys know from past episodes on TV I usually can't make it out but this was um, a kind of stronger yes than what you hear on a lot of TV programs which kind of raised a red flag because you know of course I wonder why do I hear it when I don't hear it on others so I I don't know but I'm making a point of that I I, I don't know why I'm hearing it better on this program than what I do say on like Ghost Adventures or something so Dave then radio Cindy and they agree to study um Cindy describes how 
in the study when she's walking towards the bedroom that she feels like she walks into a, a wall of energy and that she's not wanting to pass through that energy. It's like her body hits something and she has to make herself go through it. And Dave looks at Cindy kind of cocking his head and he says, well, this is the spot where the historian told me that Violet died. Um, Mr. Whaley found her outside and carried her in here to the house. And this is also near where Brandon collapsed. And you can tell this really affects Cindy um, by how her eyes widen, how, you know, um, she looks like she's pondering on that, taking that information in. Um, I really watch people's eyes on these shows because you can't usually fake that. You can fake a jerk or, or, or other things, but it's almost like Cindy's processing that information. And she says, if Brandon is a sensitive, then there could be a psychic imprint right here that when he was here vacuuming and cleaning, that overwhelmed him, causing him to collapse. And immediately after she says that, they hear kind of footsteps on the stairs. And Cindy kind of grabs at her chest and says, my chest is getting tight. And I'm feeling like there's a man standing right behind me. And as she says that, they hear more footsteps. And of course, Shane is filming, and you can see there's no one behind Cindy. Um, but Cindy says, I really don't like this man. And this is the same one that I saw on the first night. It's the same energy. I'm getting the same feeling. I'm seeing the same things. And then kind of out of the blue, she asked Dave, do you have knee problems? And Dave kind of looks at her weird and says, um, yeah. She says, well, the man just said that he's going to mess your knees up. And Cindy says, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling like I may fall over. I need to immediately sit down. So she sits down near a chair there. And Dave hears a sound in the bedroom. So he proceeds to get ready to walk in there. And as he enters the bedroom, he tells Cindy and Shane, he says, you know, I feel like there's something in this bedroom. And Cindy says, well, I am feeling almost paralyzed. Like I can't move. And she sits there for a couple seconds and she says, the name John just popped into my head really fast. And then she tries to pronounce a last name. 
and Dave comes back in and he says that's really close to Juan Vargas. And Juan Vargas was one of the three men that were hung on this property. And they were hung about three feet from where we are. Um, he says they're, they were hung basically where the archway is. And Cindy says she feels like she's going to get sick and that the man is still there with them. So Dave decides I'm going to, con- I, I want to conduct an EVP session with the digital recorder under the arch where the gallows were said to be. So he asks out loud with the recorder rolling, you know, if he is responsible for Violet's death. And Cindy said he's laughing. He's been laughing. He is continuing to laugh. He is saying over and over, they took from me, now I take from them. And then she repeats that. He's saying, he took from me, now I take from them. And Dave says, that was Juan's attitude. And so Cindy starts coughing and says she kind of feels like she's choking. So Dave steps in, and I have to give Dave props. I mean, he's seasoned. He has been a lot of different places. He's been on the radio for years. He's been a paranormal investigator for years. And he just immediately steps up and says, look, you need to back off. You don't have the power or the authority over any of us. And we are not your enemy. And then he kind of pauses and he says, let us know if you're still here. And to me, I hear what I think might be a bang Maybe a knock, but it, it almost sounded like a bang to me on TV. And I replayed it a couple times, and it, it sounded kind of like a bang, like somebody would bang on a wall or something. But Dave said to him, it sounded like a gunshot. And he said, I really want to play this back. I want to see if anyone answered us, and I want to hear that noise. So Dave... um goes and plays back on the recorder and when noise is heard on the recorder Dave immediately falls down and I mean it's quick and he says he felt like he was shoved to the floor he said I don't know whether I hit the wall or I hit what I hit, and Shane says, you hit me, you ran into me, and, and Dave said, I, I didn't know, I feel like something shoved me, and he says, I, I just need to go outside, I need to go outside, and I need to clear my head, 
Cindy and Shane stay in with the digital recorder. And Shane is now recording. And Cindy asks, Was that you, Juan? And as her and Shane continue the EVP session, Cindy says, Honestly, I'm terrified. This place is evil. And then she says, Your time's up, Juan. You need to go. So, we then flash to Dave, who's outside, um, and he's talking to a camera, and he says, you know, I didn't know what to do. I mean, what can you do? It it felt like it pushed through me. I've never in all these years been hit like this. And he says it's really hard for me to process because I've never had a physical experience like this. Um, Dave feels like um, Juan became very angered when they used his name and had figured out that it was Juan. He said for so many years, people have been guessing that these spirits, these entities, these things, these strange things that were going on, the things that were making people feel things, that were making noises and everything, that they were Violet, that they were Mr. Whaley, that they were Yankee Jim. And he said by Cindy getting the name John kind of flash through her head and then trying to pronounce his last name that he realized, oh no, I have been found out. And Dave says that when we started calling him Juan, it was almost like he knew the gig was up. And he said, I feel like this became this got him really angered, and this is why I was shoved. So then they decide, hey, we need to review the evidence. We need to go through all of the audio. We need to go through all the video evidence and get ready to share it as necessary. So um, they talk about how under the archway they think... Uh, is what has been haunting the Whaley house. Um, they show where they called Juan out, and they hear noise, and how that's almost an intelligent response. Um, they then show the video evidence of where Dave got sh shoved, and Shane slows it down. And they show it slowed down, and then they back it up and show it again. And Shane says, look at your hip. Your hip is going up. It's almost like you were picked up. Now, to me, it looked like his knees were almost like somebody did a chop block. In football, uh, it looked like his knees were taken out from him. But um, Dave says, you know, this is really personally disturbing to me 
because here I am, I'm almost 300 pounds, and it shoved me to the floor like I was nothing. So then Shane says, I found one more piece of evidence. And Cindy, when she asked, was that you, Juan, when it was just her and Shane, Shane shows them there's laughter. Now, this is the one that I don't really hear. I don't really hear laughter. I hear there's some blank space or there's something there. But me, personally, I did not hear laughter. Uh, you may, but but I don't. Um, Cindy said earlier, and they replayed it and showed where on night one, he said he was laughing at them. And that he had been laughing at them. But then they replay where in Hans or Hans Holter's films, Sybil says in 1965, he's laughing. And so I find that intriguing. That in 1965, Sybil, a medium, hears a man laughing. In 2018, when they taped this, a medium, Cindy, hears laughing. And then, when they do an EVP session, and Cindy says, Is this you, Juan? they actually catch laughing on a digital recorder. So, I found that interesting. Um, Dave then kind of says, like, he it just hits him, that he now knows why Hans says this is the most haunted house. He talks about how it actually made physical contact with him in a powerful way that shoved him to the ground. And he's never felt any evidence like that. And Dave says, I feel like we need to show this to Brandon. And so they get Brandon and they start showing him the evidence. And he tells Brandon straight up, this is one of the most active places I've ever been in. And I've been a lot of places. And so he shows Brandon then the video of him falling. And Brandon says, wow, I'm... I'm shaking. Dave says, I wanted to show you this, not to scare you or anything like that, but I want you to be aware that there are things in this house and they are very powerful and that I want you to stay safe. He says that if anything ever happens to you again, Brandon, I want you to call me. And I want you to let me know, and we'll be back. And then, like they end all 
episodes, we see Dave packing away the evidence, the film, the computer files, um, the interviews, and everything in a case just like Hans Holzer did to put with Hans Holzer's files on this case and he makes a comment at the end of it that maybe in another 50 years we will make more findings on this case and I just hope what we found will help them. And I found that interesting. And so, like I told you guys at the beginning, I kind of look at this show um, as a mystery, as a puzzle piece. I don't feel like they are trying to prove or disprove Hans Holzer. I think they're kind of using that as a building block. They're using that as, where should we go? They're using that as, well, he's already gathered some research. Let's gather the research that's happened since he was there. And then they're kind of going out and exploring. Because in these first three episodes, they've been completely different. Um, They've ended up different places. They've ended up in the same place. Um, Like in this episode, they found out more information. I enjoy this show, and it was announced that they got a second season, and I'm excited about it. I really am. I hope that they allow um, Alexander Holzer, uh, the daughter of Hans Holzer, if she wants to. Maybe she doesn't want to, but if she wants to, I would I would love it if they would allow her to go. Um, I can't help but be fascinated with Cindy. Is she real? I still don't know. I have no clue. But if she is, that is very fascinating and intriguing to me. I want to know more about how that works. And does it run in her family or is it just a gift that God gave her? And what led her to use it like this? Um, so, I, I can't help it. I really enjoyed this show, I really got into it. I am looking forward to continue watching episodes. Um, as always, you guys can talk about this episode with me. Uh, I am on Paranormal Review on Twitter. I am on Paranormal Review on Facebook. Um, we have a Facebook page, and... You guys can uh, write me on either place. You can DM me or messenger me. But you can also write me on Paranormal Review Pod. That's all one word and pod is singular. So Paranormal Review Pod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, problems, protests that you guys have. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys. Have you been to the Whaley House? Did you experience anything? Uh, what did you find out? Has anyone been there since 2018? And if you have, 
are they now telling the stories of Juan? Are they mentioning him? Did you have contact with him? Or anything like that. So, um... I'm interested in hearing from you guys, so make sure that you guys uh, write me and tell me what's going on. Please subscribe. We are on all major uh, podcasters, or podcatchers, sorry. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, all of those. Um, feel free to subscribe to us so you get the latest episodes. We are now up on YouTube. You need to look up Samantha Sayre, or you should be able to type in like Paranormal or Paranormal Review. Um, on my channel, you will find uh, different playlists and Paranormal Review. All the episodes are there on that playlist. And you can listen to them in order, or you can listen to all of the Holterfile episodes, and then all of the Ghost Adventures episodes, and then all of um, Ghost Nation, and on and on and on. Uh, we will be picking a new show uh, to continue with our episodes, and you should be hearing from me soon. So I, I look forward to talking to you guys. Don't forget to leave a review at Pachet com. I know some of you are listening on Apple Podcasts and they allow you to rate and review us, but remember, not everybody can see those ratings and reviews, especially if they're not on Apple. So if you go to podchaser.com, you can rate and review us there and everybody can see it and see what you thought of this episode or what you think of the podcast itself. Uh, and it will also let you see the ratings and reviews for all the other that are out there. But I look forward to talking to you guys soon. Be safe out there.